The Larry Hardesty Show on 98.7 ESPN. I need to have my audience hear some of the stuff that Chris Canty's talking, so I invited him on, and he politely and so graciously decided to say, yeah, I'll go talk to Larry and drop some knowledge on the audience. He joins us now here on 98.7 ESPN. Hey, champion, how are you? I'm doing good, Larry. Appreciate the intro, man. As always, it's a pleasure to be on the show with you. Well, I appreciate you because, like I always say, I say it behind your back and I say it to your face, and people may be tired of it, but I don't care. Nobody breaks down film like Chris Canty, okay? So when I'm asking him stuff, he knows what he's talking about because he has watched it, he's researched it, and he knows the deal. So, Chris, let's talk a bit about the combine, and I just want to get your thoughts on two particular areas, and that's going to be the D-line and the corners and safeties. So... Give me the overview from your standpoint on what we saw from the D lineman and what's the deciding factor? What what does the what does the combine tell you that tape doesn't tell you? Well, here's the thing. I think a lot of NFL teams use the combine to confirm the things that they've seen on film, and then some guys will flash in a positive way, and then they'll go back and take a second look at the tape just to see that they made sure to rate that guy appropriately. So I'm not quite sure that the combine impacts the draft stock of guys the way that fans and media might portray it, but um, it, it certainly um, is a tool. It's more data points that you have on a prospect, and when you think about the stakes of these NFL teams, especially guys at the top of the draft, you want to make sure you have as much information as you can so you can make an informed decision. Now, Chris, does uh... – Jordan Davis out of Georgia, does his draft stock go up a little bit? <laughs> well, I think it certainly it certainly makes people question, you know, what he's going to be, what the potential is is for him. I think everybody understands how dominant of a of a force he is in the run game. Uh, but the question with Jordan Davis is can he be a three down player? Because mm. in the NFL you spend more time in sub packages, that being nickel and dime than you do in base defense. In base defense, we know Jordan Davis is a beast. He's going to be your nose tackle. He's going to control the A-gaps. Good luck trying to run in the middle of that defensive front with him being the anchor. But when it comes to pass rush situations, can he develop enough of the tools that he's going to need in order to consistently collapse the pocket from the interior? That's the thing that we don't know. And there's also an issue of Jordan Davis being able to keep his weight under control. He checked in at the combine at 341, but when he was at Georgia this past year, he played at 360. Mm. So this is going to have to be something that you constantly watch with him. It, it, is, is football that important to him? Is realizing his full potential that important to him? And those are only things that you find out with the face-to-face interviews. Those are things that you find out from talking to people behind the scenes, coaching staff, even people that knew him from his hometown in Charlotte, like that, those, those are the type of data points that you try to gain because you're trying to project what this guy can be based on the measurables that he showed at the combine. Look, I mean, it doesn't take a genius to tell you he's got unique athletic gifts, mm-hmm. but it takes more than that to be successful in the National Football League. Everybody's immensely talented from an athletic standpoint. It's a matter of is that guy going to refine his skill set and refine his tools in order to fully realize his potential. And that's a big question mark for Jordan Davis. And that's why he's being projected in the back half of the first round instead of the top half of the first round. And in case you're not familiar, ladies and gentlemen, Jordan Davis, as Chris mentioned, at 341 pounds, ran the 40-yard dash in 4.78 seconds, which means that, boy, if he drops some more rate, 
Chris, he'd be even faster and would be, as you said, be more versatile, <laughs> which would help him in his career. Well, here's the thing, Larry. I mean, if you're talking about burning the first-round draft pick on this guy, you'd like to have him on the field 35, 40 snaps, wouldn't you? Yeah, At a minimum, absolutely. if he's a defensive lineman, if you're playing 60 to 65 snaps a game, you want him on the field for 40 of those, 40, you know, 35 to 40 of those. Jordan Davis, on average, played 25 to 30 snaps down in Georgia like this past year. And a big part of that was because of his weight. So it's a matter of, you know, can we rely on this guy to, to keep his weight under control so that we can get the most out of him? And that's a question that's not going to be answered in the pre-draft process. That's something, that, that's, something that's going to be tough. And, and that, there's, a, there's, a, there's a bit of a risk when it comes to taking a guy like that just because the weight is always going to be a concern in his career. But I will say this. Mm-hmm. If you draft him, First and second down, early downs and distances, you are not going to have to worry about dropping a safety in the box to stop the run. You're not. That guy is going to take up to your, your, your defensive front, especially the interior of that defensive front, is going to be rock solid. Um, so, so I think, you know, there's a tremendous amount of value in that in and of itself. But in today's NFL, this is a conversation of positional value. If, he's not, if you don't think he's capable of developing into a three-down three player, then just how valuable is he? Are you going to exhaust that kind of draft capital early on in the draft in order to get your hands on that guy? No question. Chris Canty is my guest. You're listening to The Hardesty Show here on 98.7 ESPN. So, Chris, out of these, out of the top four D linemen who can rush the passer, who would you take one to four if you were a GM? Who, who are you looking at on your board? Oh, man, there's a lot of good guys up there at the top of the draft. Um, Aiden Hutchinson, I think, answered a lot of questions. And I know a lot of people will look at the 40 time and say, well, he wasn't a blazer. I mean, 474, but if you watched him in the positional drills, just his ability to move, his ability to bend, and then just the refined pass rush techniques. That, that, that was impressive to me, just to watch him in the bag drills. He's got the spin. He's got the chop club. Um, you know, he's got the dip in, you know, the dip and bend the edge. Like he's got all of the different tools that a pass rusher at this level would need. And if you're worried about the 40 time, then go take a look at what Mickey Bosa done. I mean, mm. he didn't necessarily run a blazing 40 time, but Mickey Bosa is one of the best edge rushers in the game. I think he's even better than his brother Joey. So I, I you know, I, I see a lot of those same, same characteristics in Aiden Hutchinson's game in terms of tools in his tool bag. Um, so it, it, it'll be interesting to see where he lands. But I, I would certainly have him right there up the top. A guy that also turned um, – a guy that caught my eye and I'm sure turned a lot of heads was Trayvon Walker from Georgia. I mean, 6'5", 270 pounds, ran a 4'5", 140, and he was a beast against the run. And he had some productivity against the pass, even though he wasn't putting a lot of advantageous pass rush situations. And, Larry, what I mean by that is, you're not talking about this guy playing the wide nine technique. He played tight five technique, which is right on the outside shoulder mm-hmm. of the offensive tackle. Sometimes he played a four eye, which is the inside shoulder of the offensive tackle. That's what Georgia's scheme called for. But this is a guy that found a way to be productive in the pass rush, even in being in those situations. So when he makes the jump to the NFL, I'm sure he'll have more opportunities to be able to to, to burn the edge and, and, and to really put offensive tackles in space and, and be able to use his athleticism um, and, and get to the quarterback. The thing that I love about his size and what I'm intrigued by is because he's so big, 
I think there's an opportunity that you can kick him down inside too and put mm-hmm. him over the guard. Similar to what the Giants used to do with Justin Tuck. I think he has that kind of ability. And the part that I love the most about it is that this is a guy that's not only a pass rusher, but he can stop the run too. He's got heavy hands. He'll put them on you. Um, you know, and when he, when he bowls up to stop the run, he stops offensive linemen in their tracks. Like you, you can tell. He, there's a shock that he puts into those guys when he hits them. So, um, those are the things that I saw on tape. I did not realize just how athletic he was until I saw his performance at the combine, but he was already a guy that I thought would be a top half of the first round guy. And now I think he's probably going to break himself into the top 10. Mm. Fabulous. That, that's, that says a lot. That says a lot, Chris. That says a lot. Cause you know what it takes and that versatility listening to that. It's always been, but I think even more so in today's NFL, you got to be versatile with your ability and rushing the passer. If you can rush the passer and stay on the field and, and still be good against the run, you, you make more money that way, Chris. <laughs> Well, Larry, as my old defensive line coach, Clarence Brooks, used to tell me, you got to earn the right to rush the passer. Mm-hmm. That means you got to stop the run on first and second down. And so if you put them in long downs and distances, second and long, third and long, that gives you an opportunity to do what all defensive linemen want to do, which is get after that quarterback. And I, and I think Trey, Trayvon Walker certainly is a defensive lineman in this class that, you know, you don't have to worry about. You put him on the field, he, he's a, he's a four-down front kind of guy. Um, so you're not going to see him in any odd front defenses, but he's, he's a four-down guy. He's a four-three guy. But you, you put him on the field, and, and you don't have to worry about him. He's going to be a starter for a decade plus, and I think there's a there's a tremendous amount of value in that for NFL teams. Chris, I know you're watching your former team, the New York Giants, make some moves. They cut a couple of players. We hear through the rumor mill that they're trying to move Saquon Barkley. We're hearing about saying that Daniel Jones is not guaranteed. They're looking to bring in another quarterback. Just from what you've seen and what you've heard, and, and you still have you know great contacts within the organization, are they on the right track early, what you're seeing from them to make the changes that are necessary for them to get back to where they belong? Well, they got to get their salary cap under control, and it sounds like that that is that is at the forefront of Joe Shane's agenda, and I think Brian Dable is right in lockstep with him. I think this regime is coming into this situation with clear eyes. They're going to be realistic in their approach, and this is not going to necessarily be a one-year turnaround. There's always the potential to have that one that, that, that lightning in a bottle type of season, kind of like what we saw from the Philadelphia Eagles this year. But I, I don't know that you can go into this season expecting that if you're the Giants, and it certainly doesn't feel like that's the all-season strategy for Joe Shane. So I would say, Larry, from that perspective, they're on the right track and they're considering all possibilities. Like the fact that Saquon Barkley being traded is not off the table. I think that's a good sign because this organization is not going to continue to be held hostage by some of the decisions that were made by past regimes. And so we know that you know John Mara is a big Daniel Jones fan. He wants to support the kid properly. But I I also see that this regime is not necessarily being, you know, allowing Daniel Jones's, um, I guess, standing with the organization to dictate how they move forward. They're going to get good football players on this team. They're going to do what's in the best long-term interest of the program. And so Dave Gettleman's all-in approach last year didn't work. It failed. And now I think they're dealing with the ramifications uh, of, of some of the decisions that Dave Gettleman made in a responsible way. And that's what they should do. Yeah, no question. And listen, in defense of Daniel Jones, I mean, 
Chris, he can't, he hasn't been able to stay healthy. So you still don't really know. And when you have a regime that's not married to him because they didn't draft him, they're looking to bring another quarterback in here and, and make him earn it. And there's nothing wrong with that. He needs to show what he can do. Well, listen, I mean, we're, we're talking about the Philadelphia Eagles and people are saying that there's a possibility that they could be aggressive this offseason and trade for a quarterback. So, I mean, Jalen Hurts took that team to the playoffs. Jalen mm-hmm. Hurts has done more for the Philadelphia Eagles in one year um, than Daniel Jones has done in his three years with the Giants. So, I it just I, – I, I, I root for Daniel Jones. I think he has a, a lot of the physical tools that it takes in order to be a successful quarterback. Um, he just hasn't been able to put it together for whatever reason. And I get that there's been a lot of dysfunction around him. Um, but ultimately, you, you can't be held hostage by that as a franchise. you got to accept where he is in his development, accept who he is as a player, and then judge accordingly. Um, I think I would be shocked if the Giants didn't bring in some veteran competition at the quarterback spot to push Daniel Jones. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, and I would also be shocked if they decided that they were going to exercise this fifth-year option. Daniel Jones is going to be in a contract year. He's going to be in a proven year, and if he proves that he's the guy, I think this regime would welcome that. But if he doesn't perform up to expectations, then I don't think that Joe Shane or Brian Dayball would hesitate to move on. Uh, veteran quarterback, not named Mike Glennon, I hope. No, 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 no. <laughs> There's a guy up in Buffalo that that's a, that's a free agent. We'll see what ends up happening with him. Brian Dayball and Joe Shane have got ties to him. So we'll see what happens. But I'd be surprised with all the veteran quarterbacks out there that they don't take a look at one of those guys and bring them in. Chris, how are you dealing with this Lakers situation, man? Are you okay? How, how are you holding on through that? Well, I mean, listen, it was all right last night when LeBron dropped a 50 <laughs> and beat the Golden State Warriors. But Golden State is a team that's lost eight of their last ten, and they're a different team when they don't have great mom defensively. So it's hard to take a whole lot of – I uh, take a whole lot out of that. Uh, you know, it's it's certainly a team that's underperformed, and I don't know if it's necessarily going to get any better in the short term, which is going to lead to some tough decisions this coming summer. So we'll see what happens, Larry. I'm not holding my breath with it. Um, they're they're going to be in the play-in tournament. From there, we'll, we'll see where it goes. Um, but I think the ceiling for this Lakers team, if they do get the postseason, is going to be a first-round exit. So I just – Again, as a Lakers fan, this is not the year that we anticipated. Um, the Russell Westbrook situation hasn't been a fit like we thought. Anthony Davis hasn't been able to stay healthy. I guess we should have expected that, but didn't. Um, so it's 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 not good. It's not, it's not a lot of it's not a lot of good things, and that's surprising to say about LeBron James and that team. As a Lakers fan, which is more frustrating, Westbrook or Anthony Davis not staying healthy? Anthony Davis. Anthony <laughs> yeah, Davis. by far, Cause, right? Because Russ was brought in. To be that third guy, Anthony Davis was supposed to be the guy that LeBron James was passing the torch to, to be the, the guy for the Lakers, um, and, and that's not the situation. You can't, you can't, you can't trust him to stay healthy. I mean, Charles Barkley calls him street clothes for a reason. He spends more time in street clothes than he does in the uniform. So, uh, you know, it's, it's disappointing. Uh, it's frustrating. Um, you know, so I, I try not to talk about it. I mean, I, I guess as a Lakers fan, the thing that I have to look forward to the most this basketball season is the documentary that HBO is coming out with tonight called Winning Time. Yeah, Talking right. about the glory days of Showtime. I mean, that's that's what we have to look forward to because it's not what's going on on the court right now. 
I tell you, that's the versatility you get when you listen to Chris Canty Monday through Fridays from 3 to 7 on ESPN. And I didn't even want to make him angry and talk about the lockout because he's looking for his Yankees to make some moves too. So I I, I, I touched him just enough with the Lakers. I'm not going to push my luck. Chris, continued success, yeah, my friend. You know, we'll what, talk Larry, to you. I, you, know, you know what, Larry? I know the lockout is, is, is frustrating for baseball fans out there everywhere. I don't know how frustrated I am just based on the expectations I have for my Yankees too. <laughs> it's rough, man. I don't know if I can but but the thing with the but the thing with the Yankees are at least if, if the lockout was lifted, you would know what they're trying to do. I mean you're you're basing it on the same team coming back. They may they may be gonna make some moves, Chris. Yeah, I don't know about that. <laughs> I don't know about that, Larry. I, I'll, I'll let you have it on that one. I'm gonna leave that one alone. <laughs> Chris, we'll be listening tomorrow, my friend. Thanks for a couple of minutes. You you be well. I appreciate it. Appreciate it, Larry. Have a good one. All right, you too. That's Chris Canty once again on ESPN Network, 3 to 7, Monday through Friday. The Larry Hardesty Show on 98.7 ESPN.